It's Friday, October 23rd, 2020, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. For more than a century, the Pittsburgh neighborhood of Hazelwood has been borne along by the ups and downs of economic fortune. And for the past few decades, it's been mostly the latter. But that could soon change. With tens of millions of dollars in public funding, loans, and grants pouring into the redevelopment of a long-shuttered industrial site, there's reason to think Hazelwood's best years may be yet to come. Over the past few years, the former brownfield known as Hazelwood Green has become home to Carnegie Mellon University's Advanced Robotics for Manufacturing Institute. CMU is among several high-profile tenants now doing business at Mill 19. That's the massive, recently renovated structure that once housed the Jones & Laughlin Steel Company and later steelmaker LTV. Right next door to Mill 19, Uber has been developing its autonomous vehicle fleet at a sprawling test facility built along the banks of the Monongahela River. But despite all these futuristic trappings, Hazelwood is a community steeped in history. And if Jaquay Carter gets his way, the next phase of redevelopment will stand as an affirmation of that history, and also a chance to reclaim some of what's been lost. Mr. Carter is founder and president of the Greater Hazelwood Historical Society and a member of the advisory committee that's guiding the Hazelwood Green Project as it turns to redeveloping a stretch of riverfront that's been cut off from the community for generations. As you may know, Peck is also a participant in the riverfront master planning process at Hazelwood Green. And in that capacity, we've been very lucky to work with Jaquay Carter and other community stakeholders to help develop a vision for the property as it relates to our mission, namely conservation, restoration, and fostering a culture of stewardship by getting people outdoors. As part of our series on Hazelwood Green, I spoke with Jaquay about the fascinating history of the site and the surrounding community, and also how that history might point the way to Hazelwood's future. Here's our conversation. Jaquay, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Josh. I'm really glad to be here. Give me some background about your organization, uh, how you got started, when and why, and a little bit about the work you do. Um, absolutely. Well, we did begin in January of 2018, founded then. Uh, but leading up to that, for a few years, doing the research into Hazelwood's history by way of my family roots there, and began sharing a lot of that information on social media uh, with friends and family. And it just really took over like a life of its own, you know. I've been uh, happy to work with the community development. I'm doing a lot of uh, historic research and consulting uh, around that. A lot of the different uh, historic properties in Hazelwood, you know, such as the Woods House, the original Carnegie Library, and, and the Gladstone School building, being able to dive into the history of those buildings and be able to contribute to some of the development that's going on in the future. Let's follow up that connection a little bit then. So, I mean, I understand you're on the advisory committee for the Hazelwood Green project. Uh, talk about how that connects with your historical work. Oh, absolutely. So happy to be a part of that project. And also Hazelwood Green itself, which is a, a fascinating site. I'm going to ask you as a historian to gloss the neighborhood history in a pretty compressed period of time here. Uh, I mean, what can you tell us going back to maybe the, the 18th or 19th century about this part of the Pittsburgh area, how it's been used over the years? Yeah, give me 200 years of history in, in a couple of minutes, if you, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I would start with um, the indigenous peoples who have been named the Monongahela culture. 
uh, living close to the Monongahela River and would have been uh, throughout this area, the Adena people. And then, of course, that land being acquired later by John Woods of the Woods family, which is also Woods Run is named after the family. Woods Street downtown is named after the family, of course. And along with John Woods' father serving the city of Pittsburgh, in the late 1700s, and also purchasing property in Hazelwood, which was considered a wilderness at that time. Um, and, and of course, it remained pretty suburban, actually, you know, up until the mid-1800s. But he did purchase a property. He built the stone house there in 1792, and his family would remain in the area until the mid-1800s. This is where Stephen Foster would visit the nephew of John Woods, Henry Woods, in that stone house from 1792. And his brother built a property that he named the Hazel Hill Estate, and it was basically named for the hazelnut trees in the area, which is sort of how Hazelwood got its name. And it built itself sort of around the, the railroad, one of the earliest industries. And then Jones and Laughlin had built a site across the river from their original site and south side. And over time, that had expanded more into the heart of Hazelwood. Quite fascinating. I mean, there's so much um, more that occurred during that time, you know, but I, I could be talking for another <laughs> hour just about well, that. There is so much. I, you know, I found some of your presentations you've given like on YouTube and have learned so much already just from watching those. Like, and, and you mentioned Stephen Foster, who I knew was from Pittsburgh, but I, I think I heard you say that some of his more well-known works probably would have been composed, or at least partly, at the Woods House in Hazelwood. Yes. I mean, that was a very interesting subject for me, and I really was trying to find facts and, and you know, documentation on that. You hear so many things, you just want to see if they're true. I did go back and, and look into the childhood of, of Stephen Foster and of Sheriff Henry Woods' wife, Rachel. She was a friend of Stephen Foster's from childhood. So he did come to that same house where they lived in, in the 1840s and 50s. The most well-known song composed there, of course, is uh, Nellie Bly, which I had read that it was inspired by an African-American servant who worked in the home. And I was so fascinated by that particular story, uh, I wanted to find proof if, you know, if I could find any kind of documentation to support that story. And I was able to find in, in the 1850 and 1860 census of Henry Woods uh, living with his wife there, um, their family, and they had a servant, the only African-American listed on the census at that time, who was a servant in the home. So that really was like, I was so excited when I found that I, I couldn't get the song out of my head. Um, but <laughs> you know, tying in African-American history, you know, also with, with colonial history, just, you know, it was the icing on the cake finding those yeah. uh, documents. <laughs> so, I mean, as you said, we could probably go on all day like this, and I would encourage anybody who knows Pittsburgh or knows Hazelwood to check out some of the work that you've done on that, and we'll link to it in the show notes for this. But we are here today to talk about the Hazelwood Green site specifically, the the, the former JNL mill, later LTV, closed down late late in the 90s. Like, what was there? at this industrial site that we're now talking about redeveloping? What was there before it was being used for steel production? And then what would it have looked like kind of at its at its zenith and its heyday? Well, before the steel mill industry really poured in, again, Hazelwood was referred to as a suburb of the city. So there were many 
large mansions. There would have been many homes, businesses. There would have been the, the churches, some of the first schools, which were you know usually held in the church houses. So that was actually the heart of Hazelwood at, at one time. And it would have been the first area sort of developed um, around the railroad, around the, the shipbuilding, around the industry. Some people still remember that or have stories of their grandparents talking about the, the Scotch Bottom area, which is right next to Mill 19, this would have been where that area was at, too. I mean, and you have um, August Wilson mentioning Scotch Bottom and, and his works. Many people refer to Scotch Bottom as one of the most integrated, exciting parts of Hazelwood at a time. You have all of that there. I mean, so much culture, so much history, so much heritage. So then as we get a little bit further into the 20th century and the Second World War, you know, some people may have heard Pittsburgh referred to as the arsenal of democracy. There's a lot of steel production that was critical to the war effort. Can you talk about the JNL mill in Hazelwood and where it fit into that? What was its role in, in arming the Allies during World War II? Well, it was uh, classified as a, as a grade E you know, rating for, for excellence in the World War II era. Um, so, I mean, it, it would have been uh, producing ammunition, parts for tanks, it certainly would have rivaled Homestead Steelworks, you know, and in, in its capacity, and which really kind of led to it expanding more into the heart of Hazelwood, you know, needing more uh, room for, for ramped up production around that time. But uh, absolutely, I mean, involved in World War II production, it played a significant role and it was producing, you know, high quality metals for the war effort. There were women working, you know, in the factory there um, in, in Hazelwood, which was quite uh, fascinating as well for me when I found that out. Pictures of them, you know, dressed up almost like Rosie the Riveter. It actually is a, a Hazelwood version of Rosie the Riveter that I'm going to be exploring more. A woman that I was just, uh, someone just told me about. And uh, there's a picture of her that I have, but I'm hoping to dive more into her story and find out where she lived in Hazelwood and things like that. But it, just to show another side, because people always think it was the men who won the war, you know, but women had to fill in for, for the soldiers. So they definitely won the war, yeah. too. <laughs> so in that period, business is kind of booming for the steel industry, obviously. And then afterwards, after the war, times are pretty good, too. Can you talk about what Hazelwood would have been like in that sort of middle period, middle of the century? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you'll, you'll hear many people, including my parents, my grandparents, who can remember Hazelwood in its heyday, where you didn't have to leave Hazelwood for any shopping or, you know, any entertainment, any organizations. And there was everything here, recreation. This would have been the whole Second Avenue lined with businesses, uh, no vacancies. You would have had a strong Jewish community there in the early 1950s who were the haberdasheries and butcheries and groceries where the mill workers who were mainly of Eastern European nationality, they would have been shopping with the Jewish shopkeepers along the business district. There would have been, um, as you hear, two movie theaters uh, operating, you know, all day long, right in the same block, you know, so it kind of shows that there was a large population at that time. You would have had so many churches bustling with different types of nationalities serving, you know, it was a beautiful place from all records and accounts that I've ever found mm -hmm. leading up until 
the late sixties when there was a, a large mill closure which affected the business district and the population of Hazelwood too started to dwindle around that time. Mm-hmm. But you would have had everything there. You just really didn't have to go anywhere. Hazelwood was a place to be at that time. So then the industry starts to decline. The impact is felt locally, obviously. You know, and this is sort of a gradual process over a couple of decades. And I, I don't want to date you, but I think you're, you're a youngish guy and you would have probably experienced a little bit of this process firsthand, right? Do you, do you have memories, you know, growing up, what, what it was like to see that your community transform during this time? Absolutely. I mean, when I grew up, uh, I was born in the early 1980s, and that was when Hazelwood was being referred to as economically depressed, and and Second Avenue was referred to as the Depression Corridor. So those things were sort of all I knew. I looked around and saw a lot of, you know, closed-up businesses or vacant lots. You know, the times had changed, and I and I I just kind of uh, was used to that. I, I had never seen the heyday, you know. So all I kind of known was sort of the economic depression uh, that had happened after the mill closures. And, you know, in 97, LTV finally closed. Um, so I remember, you know, being outside as a young teenager riding my bike, um, and I could see the torch and smell the fumes, you know, coming from the steel mill. So to see it close, you know, at around 14 years old, uh, it certainly kind of was like a nail in the coffin to any kind of future development or anything, you know. So for years after that, you know, until adulthood, there were so many talks about what was going to happen and and all the development and, you know, specifically even on Hazelwood Green site. So, of course, there were times when I didn't think that anything was going to happen there. You know, there were times that my parents thought that and thought that moving out of the neighborhood was the best thing to do. You know, kind of separated the family a little bit, just trying to find better opportunities. So it is so nice to see that there are some of those opportunities coming back to Hazelwood now, even if it has been 20 years since then. Within the two years that I've been serving in the community, I have seen so much progress and so much change just in that little bit of time. I am just like beaming all over about that. Let's let's zoom in on the riverfront property itself, since that's sort of one of the last pieces to come into place here. And I know it's one that, you know, that piece of land hasn't always been accessible to the community, and hopefully that's going to change. What does that prospect mean to you, the idea of the Mon Riverfront becoming a, a much more central part of the community's life? Oh, my goodness. I mean, as far as recreation goes, as far as exposure to nature even, being able to be along that river is awesome. I used a lot of the trails around the city and, you know, just how close you're able to get to the river and maybe do your exercising or, you know, just walk and, and you know, just to have that kind of peace, I think, is unique to the river. I long for water, you know, spaces throughout my travels everywhere I go, I'm looking for, you know, where's a water source I can go. So it is really tranquil and, and relaxing. And I'm just hopeful that the residents would be able to access it in a safe and very environmentally friendly way, which is obviously what, what we're all hoping to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about it because, like you said, it has been really off access for so long, you know, just with the mill site being there for so long. 
one of the exciting things about this project is the degree to which, you know, community input, I think, is being sought actively and really want this project to reflect what Hazelwood wants, what's going to be most valuable to people that live there. So, I mean, you've been kind of behind the scenes and helping to facilitate that too, but obviously you're a resident and I'm curious what you personally would like to see, like by way of maybe amenities or programming along the riverfront. Do you have any, like anything on your personal wish list that you're going to be sharing in the planning process? Well, as the neighborhood historian, I am a stakeholder in the community even more than a resident or a former resident uh, even. So I'm really looking at it as an effect um, on the development of the community as well, which I think it is a great part of what needs to happen on the mill site and for Hazelwood in general, you know, and, and that Hazelwood residents and stakeholders have been involved in this process so far, you know, and their ideas and their thoughts, the survey that has been going around the neighborhood, those are very good signs, you know, as opposed to how some of the other riverfront developments have happened. As I witnessed in Homestead, um, as a resident of Homestead at that time, I certainly saw how the community was completely left out of those plans. And, you know, luckily after years, we were afforded a trail there, but still, there was no input. I mean, there could have been a lot more thought process to what had happened there, just as I'm able to offer in Hazelwood, like what it looked like before and, and what it was like before to kind of give a nod to the past in a way that is kind of overlooked in other developments. So mm-hmm. really excited. Just from the beginning, the approach to this has, has been really great. Hazelwood Green, you know, everything that I've I've been involved with as far as Hazelwood Green's concerned has been the same as far as connecting with the rest of the neighborhood and the residents. And of course, it's history, which is really one of the most important things, I think, in going into the future, kind of making sure that we don't leave that behind. Right, right. So what, as a historian, what are your ideas about how we actually do that? You know, I mean, the Mill 19 design obviously makes use of the existing structure in a really interesting way. Do you see uh, approaches like that working in other other spots along the riverfront? Or what does that mean to you to have a riverfront design that connects with the history? I think that history, you know, as, as a part of our slogan, which is honoring our past, but inventing our future. So we're not just about the past. The past does have a part in the future, a huge part, and it can be incorporated in so many different ways, such as Mill 19 did. Working with the Rivers of Steel Heritage Corporation in Homestead and seeing what they've done with the remaining remnants of uh, Kerry Furnaces, which we also had something similar to that called Eliza Furnaces, but we, we lost that, unfortunately. But to have something like Mill 19 or the, the Roundhouse, Pump House, those elements there on the site, those can be innovative and they can invent the future, but they can also honor the past, you know, which, which they've done. So even if you take the exoskeleton off of the Mill 19 and take away some of its historical parts, it's still you know, it still plays its part to honor the history and to invent the future. So I think that that's really important. And I'm sure that the residents and stakeholders of Hazelwood are going to offer many ideas um, as to how to do that. And I certainly will as well. Um, But I think that by having information and and maybe uh, plaques or 
artists to come in and do work such as Rivers of Still has been able to do. And now that Hazelwood is a part of the Rivers of Still National Heritage Area of the National Park Service, we'll be able to get some funding and resources, you know, in addition, just through the Historical Society to complement what you guys are doing. So really excited about everything that's happening down there. (laughs) To kind of wrap this up, as we're heading into what I think all indications are it's going to be a really lively and hopefully productive uh, public engagement process uh, working toward a master plan for the for the riverfront. How do you hope uh, that plays out? What kind of input do you anticipate maybe folks will be bringing there? And what do the decision makers really need to hear and need to understand from the residents? Wow. Um, I believe that as many of the public engagement uh, through the neighborhood planning process that we've just had recently over the past few years, hearing the neighbors voices and concerns their stories you know and being able to take them in a way that would be able to use the environment in a you know sustainable way and and able to use what is left from the site the historical remnants that are left from the site for them to be able to inform what had happened in the past but also to be of a use in the future with innovation and and with technology, which is happening down there to educate and to be, you know, a source of innovation for the future, just as JNL was innovative with Steel in 1861. It kind of all ties in, you know, in such a beautiful way. And as an historian, I really can appreciate it. And as a Hazelwoodian, as I would say, I just am so excited, um, you know, finally for that history to sort of be told on a, on a much bigger platform. Because growing up in, in Hazelwood, we didn't hear any stories about the people that lived in Hazelwood. And, you know, we definitely heard about the mill, but there were so many other exciting, you know, fascinating things that happened in, in Hazelwood. So this just opens the door for people to learn more about all that stuff, too. Well, really looking forward to these conversations and really glad to have you and Greater Hazelwood Historical Society as a partner in all of this. We'll see you at the planning meetings. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. Jaquay Carter is founder and president of the Greater Hazelwood Historical Society. You can learn more about their work and support it by visiting hazelwoodhistory.org. There's lots more on the Hazelwood Green Project at hazelwoodgreen.com and on episode 131 of Pennsylvania Legacies. You can find the links to all of those in the show notes for this episode and get caught up on all of our past episodes at PECPA.org. Subscribe in your preferred podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and elsewhere via RSS. Pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you will find Pennsylvania Legacies. We hope you do, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode due out in just a couple of weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.